I'm Michelle Sims, and this is the Beauty in the Mess, a community where people who crave a shift in mindset, personal growth, and connection to like-minded people come together to start rewriting their stories. Through engaging, honest, and insightful conversations, the show will help you embrace the mess to recognize the meanings and the lessons it holds and discover its hidden treasures to help you start making a mindset shift. Let's listen, learn, and reclaim who we were meant to be. Hi, friend. Welcome to episode 10 of The Beauty in the Mess, called Honoring the Life and Promise of Ed Carney with Cheryl Carney. I'm Michelle, your host. The way some people live their lives serves as a reminder to the rest of us that our memory and our legacy can still help others long after we're gone. Ed is certainly one of those people. He found his purpose in life, and he never strayed nor complained. He was just grateful. Grateful for the life God had given him, and he wanted to share what he had found with anyone and everyone. My special guest today is Cheryl, Ed's wife. She's joining me to tell Ed's story, his life before he found God and after, his promise to God and his mission. Ed was a wonderful son, father, and husband, but he was also a self-proclaimed dirty dog sinner saved by grace. Because even though he had found God, he never let himself forget what he had had to overcome with God's help. Ed used his testimony and his life to help others find their way to God and to forgiveness and grace. I think you will find Ed's story not only inspiring, but very heartwarming as well. So without further ado, let's dive right into today's conversation. Well, hi, Cheryl. Thank you for coming today and welcome to the Beauty in the Mess. Thank you. I appreciate your time. And I know you want to discuss your husband's life journey with us today. Yes. I, I know he, he found himself in quite a mess for a little while and, and then he turned his life around. Yes, he sure did. Yeah. I didn't know if you want to like give us some of the background for Ed. Well, his parents were really good parents. They didn't go to church every Sunday or anything, but he still went to church. They call him Christers. You know, it's usually Easter and Christmas. And so he did that. And I think as, as he got older, like around 15, 16 years old, it was one of those things where a little bit of beer in his eyes, you know, nobody got hurt. So it didn't seem wrong. And then a little bit of beer turned into a little bit of marijuana. Nobody got hurt. So it seemed like everything was okay. And then he went further on down. We met a girl and of course then sex comes in, you know, as a young man. And so it kind of went from there a little bit and he wound up marrying her and they were divorced shortly after. I think their partying kind of came into play a little bit. And then he found himself so free, you know, of being able to do what he wanted and the harder drugs came in. And then he met his second wife and they had a couple of kids, which kind of calmed him down a little bit, but not a hundred percent. And, you know, he wanted to be a good dad. He always said, you know, that the love of his children was the closest thing that he felt to the love of Jesus, because at the time he wasn't even really sure what that meant. And so the partying got a little more intense and then they started using needles and that's where thing really took a really hard turn. 
for him. And then he ended up, I'm going to try to find the date on here of when that actually was. I know it was in 1988, the summer of 1988, about six o'clock in the morning, police were knocking at his door and handcuffs were out and they handcuffed him and done all this right in front of his children. And that was a little devastating for him, but he wouldn't let them take him anywhere until his parents had come and picked his kids up. He wouldn't let them take him to jail. So how did the police show up? Did somebody tip them off that he had drugs? Yeah, Ed had been selling marijuana for a very long time and everybody in town knew it. Okay. So he was pretty well known. I mean, even nowadays, if you even mention Ed's name, everybody says, I've heard that name. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> sometimes I don't know if it's always a good or a bad thing, but he did turn that all around. So they came in and they arrested him and his wife. And at that time, they had a huge drug bust in Frankfurt. So Ed actually went to Delphi. He was in there for 45 days before they could come up with a bond of $147,000. And that was back in 1988. So that was quite a bit. And so he uh, was hoping that it would never come to light because people that had turned him in and they were using their state witnesses, they all had a criminal past too. They were all in. In this drug bust. So did they turn him in trying to lessen their own sentence? Yes. And, and he would never do that. So they kind of railroaded him a little bit and told him that for his wife at the time to stay out of prison, he would have to plead guilty and take 30 years. And so to keep his children and their mom all together, he did that. He had to take the charges and plead guilty. So here he is, a young man looking at 30 years, which people nowadays, they could kill someone and get less time than he got. But he did. He, he took it and he ended up going to Michigan City for a little while. He hadn't been there for very long. And there was a guy that one day just handed him a Bible through the bars. And so he opened it up and I'll try to read this. And it opened up to Acts 2, 41 to 42. And this is what he always kind of went by. And it says, then they gladly received the word, were baptized the same day, were added into them 3,000 souls. And they continued steadfast in the doctrine and fellowship in the breaking of bread and in prayer. And that's what he always says. That's what his whole life was missing. You know, like he wasn't sure that that's what he was supposed to do. And so he told God that day, you know, if, if you forgive me for all my sins, everything I've ever done, he said, I'll serve you for the rest of my life. Wow. And he did. I mean, I think some people, when they find religion, when they find, you know, when they start going to church and stuff in prison, I think sometimes when they get out, they don't keep going with that, but you have to make an effort for it. You know, Ed always said that it's something that you have to strive for. You have to keep going for that instead of hoping that the church or God comes to you. You have to keep, you know, making the effort yourself. And so he was still looking at all this time. And so he started going to church every Sunday or whenever they would say, if anyone wants to go to church, he was right there every single time. And so they ended up moving him from Michigan City. They moved him to, I think it was Plainfield. He went to next. And like he said, God was waiting for him there too. You know, he had a bunch of Christian men that was there waiting and he still went to churches and his Bible studies. And he was all the time trying to help other people. But when he got there, he was in there with world champion boxer, Mike Tyson. Pretty wild. <laughs> I know he always had an interesting story to tell about Mike. See, my husband when he did portraits in jail. That's how he would make extra money and stuff. And so he was doing this portrait and Mike wanted him to do one for him. And so Ed kept telling him he'd go 
goes, you know, you know, I'll do it for you, Mike, but you have to wait your turn. And so Mike was like going on about all this stuff. And he finally told Ed, he goes, I'll have $150 on your books tonight. And, my, and Ed says, I'm about to start your picture right now. <laughs> and so he, <laughs> but um, in the tattoo that's on Mike's arm, Ed drew it. He wouldn't tattoo him, but he actually drew it and somebody else tattooed it on there. So, but they became friends in there. He always liked Mike. He always had a lot of nice things to say about him. That's amazing, really. Yeah, it is. I mean, some of the stories Ed would tell about in prison, probably maybe not the most appropriate ones, <laughs> but he ended up going to Plainfield after that, or no, yes, Plainfield. Then he got in with this pastor, Jim Rhodes, and he's long passed away, but I met him actually when Ed got out and he's an amazing man. He was an amazing pastor. So it's a pastor that would come to the prison? Yes. And Ed and him just really clicked right off. So they got to be really good friends. And I mean, he taught Ed so much about Bible studies itself and explaining stuff. Because when you're a new Christian, you have a lot of questions. And Jim was always really good about helping guys and answering their questions. So he taught him how to interpret different things and stuff like that. So he had a lot of admiration for him. So Ed had been in there for seven and a half years and he had put in for different modifications for his not release because at the time he had an A felony. So he had to do 10 years, but they kind of made it to where Ed was supposed to do 15 before he could come up for parole. And so he had gotten a new attorney and this attorney was a Christian man also. And so he told Ed, he said, you're not going to be able to get out. You have to do your 10 years, but we can try to make it to where you could come for 10 instead of 15. To try to get out on parole, right? Yes, to be up for parole. So he went to uh, this modification hearing and the judge told him, he said, you know, well, I can't give you work release because you have too much time. By then it was a new judge. This judge, his name was Lindley Pearson. He's a Christian man too, and he has great morals. I mean, he was just an amazing judge. But he told him, he said, you know, I can't release you on work release because you have too much time. And I can't give you an ankle monitor again, because you have too much time. He says, but there's nowhere in the law that says that I can't release you on your own honor. And so everybody was floored because that was just kind of unheard of. I mean, it hasn't done. He still had two and a half more years to do. Some of that was due to the charges being kind of trumped up a little bit, wasn't it? And that's why the judge decided to let him go. Yes. Yeah. And so they did that and they just told him in two and a half years, you have to sign yourself up for probation. So it was like a miraculous release because, you know, that's just unheard of that, you know, a person could get out of jail so early on with an A felony. So for that two and a half years, I mean, he had two and a half years where he didn't have to have probation or anything. And then he has to. Yep. Just on his own honor. (laughs) (laughs) that's that's wild I know it really is he went several places several churches to do like his testimony and he was all the time going to different churches to do that and when he got out his sister and his brother-in-law they made a little apartment for him down in their basement because he had nothing I mean he lost everything when he went to prison he even lost his wife they divorced while he was in jail So he stayed at his sister's and he always made the joke that they had a big party for him when he got out of jail. He goes, but there was no drugs and alcohol at this party. (laughs) 
So they took him in and helped him. And one of the guys that was there, his name was Dick Britton, and he ran a factory. And this Dick was a really nice Christian man. And he went and gave it a job. He picked him up from work for work every day and brought him home. And, you know, so he really did well by Ed. And so he decided time for him to get a car. And so he got him a car and got his driver's license and stuff. He hadn't had one for seven and a half, almost eight years. And I'm going to read from his actual written testimony of what he wrote down. I'll probably cry a little bit, so I'll just forewarn you on this. And this this is what he would go to churches with, right? This testimony. Okay. Yes. Yeah. And so he wrote down, he says, the next God gave me a car after seeing the need. Now God sees inside your heart. He sees inside your heart. And I try not to show it, but I was longing for a mate because God says a man should always have a mate. He was getting lonely for a mate. I was on house arrest uh, on my honor. Says after church, I would drive the long way home every night. When the Christmas lights were on in the park, I would drive through there not knowing God had soon had my bride thinking the same thing that she was as lonely as me. And that was me. (laughs) She had told me that she had drove through the park almost every night also, but I had no home to offer her, no money, yet God had a plan. Setting in a pew, few rows back, one Sunday morning, my soon-to-be bride came up and asked me if I remembered who she was. He said, and all I thought was, oh my gosh, no, but I really wish I did. She was so beautiful. And when she told me what her name was, I did remember. I used to be in her dad's Boy Scout troop so many years ago. We started out as just friends riding bike, talking on the phone, and setting a church together. We would hold hands and pray together every Sunday. And then on a great August, we got married. (laughs) Oh, you're fine. It's a beautiful story. When Ed and I first got together, I had no children of my own. And Ed had two daughters and he had been fixed for many years. And we had talked about him getting unfixed and having children together. And then one day he decided that he was going to donate blood. So he goes and he donates blood. And then he goes back to do it again. And so they call us in this office and they tell us, you know, that they couldn't take his blood anymore because he had hepatitis C. And then at that time, I mean, they didn't really have a treatment for hepatitis C back then. I mean, they did, but it was like, it was a long drawn out when it was an eight month long one. He had to take interferon, which is not the best. I mean, it's a great medicine, but it's just not user friendly. So for eight months, he had to take three shots a week in his stomach and six pills a day. And so during that time, we were not allowed to have children. Then they told us that he would have to wait at least two to three years after the medication for us to think about having a family because the chances of having a birth defect was so high. And by then his daughter had already had us a grandbaby. So I'm thinking, am I supposed to be a mom or am I supposed to be a grandma? So we just chose, you know, not to pursue that path. And so I was just a grandma after that, but you know, and that's okay. I love all of my grandkids, just like they were my blood, (laughs) even though they're not. Yeah. That part doesn't matter. Yeah. No, it does not. I was with all of them, you know, when they were born and and I cherish that. I really do watching them being born. It just shows when you do certain things, when you're younger, sometimes they always come back to haunt you. Even when you're a Christian and you're doing the right thing and you're living the right way, there's consequences for your actions, no matter what, just because you're Christian doesn't mean you're going to live your whole life worry-free and everything free. I mean, you know, there are consequences to your actions. Was the hepatitis from the drug use? Yes. Yes. It was from the needle use. They told us that if he didn't take the treatment that they had gave him, 
that um, within 10 years, he would have cirrhosis of the liver and there would have been nothing we could, they could have done for him. Wow. And he wouldn't have been in line for a transplant for a transplant. So we took the treatment and it was a, it was a long eight months, but praise God, he uh, was undetectable and clear up until the di- day he passed away. He was still undetectable from his hepatitis and it's just a little drop in, in a, in a bowl of water. You have a little bit of a ripple right. and that's what it, it created, but it was just a stumbling block in one of our many adventures in life. I should say, <laughs> I, I thank God every day for the 22 years that they gave us and I wouldn't trade any of them for anything. Ed was an amazing man. He was an amazing father and grandfather, and he touched so many lives. We used to run Celebrate Recovery in Frankfurt. We did that for about 10 years. There were so many people that he helped overcome the drug and the alcohol. He was always very proud of that. As he should be. Yeah. Yeah. When he passed away, it was in the midst of COVID. There were so many people that showed up. Over 500 people viewed his funeral online, which is huge. I mean, for a small town like Frankfurt. It's astounding. And that's not even the number that were there in person. Yeah. It was just loved by so many. I uh, just feel blessed that I was one of them that knew him and was able to share life with him. COVID was a hard time. You know, we both got sick on in December. I felt like I just had the flu for a few days and his breathing started going like he was having a hard time with it. So I took him to the hospital and which is tough because you can only just take him and drop him so that he went in there and he was in there less than a week and they had to put him on a ventilator. Wow. His parents both got COVID. His dad passed away on January the 14th and his mom passed away on the 20th and it passed away on the 31st. So we lost all three of them in uh, January of COVID. That's horrible. I don't know how you can process that, that much loss that quickly. Our family was so devastated. I mean, I lost, you know, the love of my life, you know, my husband, my, my wife, he was my whole life. And I lost my in-laws and they were great. I hit the jackpot when I had them as in-laws because they were amazing people. His sisters, they lost their parents and their brother. His daughters lost their dad, their grandparents, all. I mean, it was just so fast. And, um, you know, not only were we mourning one and then another and then another, it's just, it was a lot. It was just a lot to take in. And I worried about not just my own sanity sometimes, but about theirs because it's a lot for someone to process and take in. Oh yeah. I can only imagine. I don't even want to imagine. Yeah. It's awful. Yeah. But I'll tell you a story. This, you know, I think God sometimes reminds us when Ed was in prison, he used to journal all the time. So we had moved, we had downsized, we moved out to the country a little ways and we have about, about three and a half acres or something like that. So we were going through some boxes in the garage. He had picked this box up and his journal had fell out and it opened to this certain page and he picks it up and he looks at it and he looks up to the sky and he goes, now you're just showing off. And I looked at him and I said, what are you talking about? And he goes, look at this. He goes, this just fell out of the box. And so I read it and it was his prayer for that day. And he just said, you know, Lord, when I get out, I just want to find a wife that doesn't smoke, which that was me. (laughs) And I just want to have a small two bedroom house on about three acres. Well, that's exactly what we have. We have a two bedroom, two bath house on about three and a half acres. And I think sometimes God wants to show you that, Hey, I answered your prayer. He just reminds us of that. He's still there and he's still watching everything we do. 
you know, when Ed passed away, I had him cremated and he was all the time teasing me about burying him in the backyard. So I bought a tree and uh, I put some of his ashes in that tree and he's in my side yard. He's not in my backyard. (laughs) He's in the side yard. Ed always told everybody anytime you would ever talk to him or meet him or listen to his testimony, he would always tell everybody I'm a dirty dog sinner, only saved by grace. That was his go-to. Everybody, if you even mention Ed, that's what they'll say. So he's in the dogwood tree. So I think that's pretty fitting and appropriate. And I think he would think it was actually kind of funny (laughs) that I put him in a dogwood tree. (laughs) So he touched a lot of lives and he was loved by so many. I, I just can't say enough about how many times he's brought me to sanity. I think sometimes the loss of my sister was so tough on my whole family and Ed being right there pulled everybody together. I mean, he knew exactly what to say to people and to um, help my, my parents feel just a little bit better. Not that they ever will feel a hundred percent, but you know, they knew that he was praying for them and he just found the right words to say the minute they came in and told us that she was gone. I mean, he knew exactly what to say. It was great. I mean, he just did a phenomenal thing for my family. That is amazing. I know you had a a neat story also from the funeral and you were talking about where he didn't want flowers on his casket or he would have hated that. You said, yes, he would have. And you laid the two Bibles up there. Mm -hmm. Would you want to share that story? Yeah. So when he passed away, they asked what kind of flowers I wanted. And I said, I don't want flowers. He would have absolutely hated that. I guess he maybe thought flowers would have been for girls or whatever. I don't know. So I told him, I said, can we just lay? He had two Bibles that was very dear to his heart. So I took those up there to have them laid on his, on his casket. And in the meanwhile, when I picked them up, I mean, thousands, I mean, we were married for over 20 years. I picked those Bibles up to dust around them and on them and never had this ever happened before, but I picked the Bible up and this paper scooted out and I'd never seen it before. It was a poem that he wrote and it's what heaven means to me. I only read about two lines of it and I couldn't read anymore. It was a little devastating to me, I'm sure. but I don't know why he never showed that to me, but he never did. And I'm so glad that I found it. And actually the very first time I heard it was at his funeral, along with everybody else and his family, his family had never heard it either. It was very touching because it talks about his parents in there. And when his parents got sick before he was on the ventilator, uh, I chose not to tell him that they were sick because I wanted him to concentrate on getting better and not worry about his family. So I'm glad that he didn't know that, but I'm sure he was absolutely surprised when he entered heaven's gates and there they were waiting on him. Right. And he had actually, the poem you're talking about, he had actually written years prior in prison, right? Yes. Yes. He wrote it when he was back in prison. Yeah. Yes. Would you want me to read it for everyone? Is that okay? Yes. I would love that. Yes. Okay. It's called What Heaven Means to Me by Ed Carney. When I think of heaven, and quite often I do, I might not think of things that seem the most to you, like walls of jasper or gates of pearl, so beautiful to behold, or mansions standing everywhere on solid streets of gold. For these things don't thrill me or fill my heart with bliss, because I've never had enough of these things to get me spoiled, I guess. For the human mind cannot comprehend the beauty there is to see. For this, my friend, is what heaven means to me. It's a place where all night will have vanished away. In the ages of times, there will be just one long day. The weather will be perfect and the food will be fine. 
we'll never have to hurry because there will be no time. When we get up there, we'll never cry because there's no bills to pay or nothing to buy. There will be no sickness, no sorrow or pain nor sin. And just imagine, if you can, of meeting all the old saints and getting to shake their hands, listening to all the stories of things they've done, maybe live right next door to James or John. Another thing that might make heaven so fair is my mom and dad will both be there, looking so fair and young. I see not old and wrinkled like they used to be, and I'll kiss mom and she'll whisper in my ear, we've been waiting for you, son, and we're so glad you're here. And my dad will say, boy, there's no fears, and we'll sit down and talk for maybe a hundred years. Yes, it's going to be wonderful, and if we make it through to that beautiful place that he prepared for me and you. But all that I've mentioned can never compare to the greatest thrill that awaits us when we get there, and that is to see Jesus, the one who died for you and me, to live in his presence throughout all of eternity. We'll sing forever without a sorrow or care. That's what heaven really means to me, and I hope and pray I'll see you there. Love, Brother Ed. He did a great job. Beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, beautiful. So I can see why it, you know, I, I mean, it definitely feels like a God thing that it slipped out of the Bible when it did. I'm glad it did. For sure. I'm so glad that it did, that people were able to hear that on that specific day. And it, even his sisters and stuff, when he talked about his mom and dad, I think, you know, it really touched them, but they all got a copy of it. So, <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. I made it one worth framing, I think. <laughs> yeah. It's <laughs> beautiful. How many years of his life did he go around giving testimony? Did he, he got out of jail in 1997? Was that correct? He got out in 1996. 96. Okay. 96. Yes. We got together. We first met up again in 97, but he got out in 96. And I mean, he traveled all over whatever church asked him to come. He would, he would go and do it at one time, the courts actually, and he was still on his honorable release. They let him travel to Florida to go down there and, and speak as a church. I mean, that, that judge, you know, he had so much faith in Ed knowing that he was doing the right thing. I don't think uh, most people would think, oh my gosh, he got to, I mean, it, it, we did have a little bit of a vacation, but I mean, it wasn't <laughs> meant to be that to begin with. You know, we actually went down there. Right. That was just a side. Yeah. <laughs> and then we got married in uh, 1999, but we lived every day to the fullest because we both knew that, you know, we're never promised tomorrow. So we always just said, you only have one life and you might as well live it. Sitting around. Oh, yeah. Sitting around and just waiting for something to happen is just not, just, just not what we did. We just didn't do that. He loved to travel and, you know, we saved for several years for his, he had this amazing vacation he wanted to do when he retired. He wanted to drive up route 66 all the way to California and then drive up the coast. And that's what we did. <laughs> we were gone for almost three weeks. It was awesome. I bet. Like it was one of the best vacations we saved for many years for that vacation. We put a lot of miles on our car, but we didn't have a plan. I mean, we just traveled and whenever we would say, oh, I'm getting tired. Let's stop for the night. We would go online and find out what hotels were there and you know, what areas and stuff. And he always wanted to see the redwood trees and that's, we did that in uh, Yosemite park. And it was just awesome. I mean, just to go all the way there, the water was extremely cold. We just put our toes in, but we had to just to <laughs> say that we did. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but um, he got to retire for just a little over a year. 
he retired in 2019. COVID took his life and God called him home in uh, 21. So it was a, it was a tough time. It's still a tough time, but you know, we just have to be faithful and know that he heard those glorious words. Well done, good and faithful servant. And uh, I will see him again. I will definitely see him again. I'm sure he did hear those words. A lot of us make promises to God, but a lot of us fall short and delivering on those. And, it, you know, it sounds like he absolutely delivered on his, you know, a hundred percent. So, yeah, and he, I mean, he would always tell you he's a sinner. I mean, you know, we all sin every single day. I mean, if somebody tells you that they don't do anything wrong, boy, are they, they're lying, <laughs> <laughs> they are lying to themselves and everybody else. Exactly. <laughs> but um, he just, he always knew that um, no matter what, when it came to push to shove, he was a Christian first, no matter what. He would have never denied God. I'll never forget. We were on a cruise to Alaska and this lady was on the phone and she broke down crying. Like you could tell, like somebody had in her family was hurt or passed away or whatever. And that's exactly what had happened And there. They were in Alaska and Ed didn't even know this lady. He walked right over and grabbed hold of her hand and started praying with her. Of course, she loved it. Wow. And at first I thought, I hope she won't hit him. <laughs> she didn't even know him. And, uh, yeah, you never know how people are going to react. Right. It, but most people would have been, you know, afraid to do that or, you know, they would have backed away from it a little bit, but not him. I mean, he never, he never would have backed away from that for a second. That's awesome. I, I thought it was interesting too. Um, I don't know if, if, if you want to share or not, but the two write-ups he got while he was in jail, you had told me about that. Yes. Yes. He got, he got two write-ups. And the judge asked him about his write-ups when he was in jail. And the one write-up was because he hadn't plugged his television in um, before he turned it on. That was at Michigan City. The headphones. Yes, the headphones. Yeah. So he got a noise write-up. And um, then the second write-up was the money that he had got from Mike Tyson for doing that portrait. He was sending that money to pay ties to a church. And that just happened to be one of the letters that the state had opened and read. And so they read that he had money and they didn't care where it was going. It was the fact that he was sending money out of there. And so he got a write-up for it. It was like a class B or something like that write-up. And the judge said, so you're telling me that you got a write-up for doing something good? And he goes, yeah. <laughs> and so I think the judge, he was astonished. He goes, and um, he, he was just shocked that he got a write-up for paying ties to a church. I mean, yeah, I can't imagine that. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I mean, here he only made, you know, a few cents a day. I mean, he didn't make very much money back then in prison. I think they make a little bit more now, but you know, he didn't have any money to pay, but when he did have enough, he was sending money to several different churches, paying ties to the church. So everybody was a little shocked. I kind of giggle about it too, because I'm thinking, you know, they looked probably a little silly giving him a write up for, you know, doing the right thing. So, but, and, and of all things uh, to get written up for tithing. Yeah. To church, I mean, just, yes. <laughs> I can't imagine yeah. what Ed was thinking at the moment. Yes. I know. <laughs> He thought of all the times, you know, because he never did it. I mean, he would send money, but never like that way. Yeah, he got into, he got to write it for that. And, you know, it's like he always said, what the devil tries to take for evil, God turns around to good. And that's what he did. 
the the judge was very impressed with uh, the fact that he was doing that and you know what little bit of money he was making that he was you know trying to help others that he didn't even know he could have been trying to help people in prison but you know he was trying to help other christians and missionaries and stuff so it's pretty wonderful yeah yes so as we start to wrap up is there anything uh, about ed or ed's journey that i should have asked or that you want to share that we haven't shared oh no there's so much i i know when, i know when this is over i'll say oh my gosh i wish i had to told her because <laughs> there's just so much you know that he accomplished in his life i mean he was quite the artist from what you've shown me. Yes. Did he ever get to do anything? I mean, like sell anything? He did. He would do it on the side. I mean, he mainly did it for, you know, his own pleasure because he liked, he enjoyed doing it. But there were several times people paid him to, to draw portraits and every portrait that he ever drew. And even including the one for Mike Tyson, Ed always signed it. Jesus is alive. And then he would sign his name underneath that. Oh, wow. And when he passed away, my niece took her portrait that he did for them and traced off the Jesus is alive and his signature and made me a table. And that's what his ashes set on and, and put that on the table. So they copied his. So it's actually engraved in the table yes. or? Yeah. Wow. How awesome. I mean, they, they just did a phenomenal job. And then they actually on a t-shirt, it says Jesus is alive and it's Ed's handwriting. It's so funny because everybody say, where did you get that shirt? It's like, mine's one of a kind. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, those are pretty amazing gifts. Yeah. yeah, I I love it. Um, I was so touched that they did that. The kids all helped her. She, my, my niece has four children and they all help sand on the table and varnish it and put it together. And it's just like a piece of, of wood that they did it on, but it's absolutely beautiful. And his, his ashes and a Bible that a really good friend sent to the funeral home sent up there. And so, yeah, he's, uh, he's got a little place in the house and all of his portraits say that though. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, I can't thank you enough for joining me today. I truly feel honored that you shared Ed's story and I'm I'm horribly sorry for your loss, but thank you for allowing me to help honor his life and his journey and his promise to God by by resharing his story. I appreciate you putting it out there too cuz Ed was an amazing man and uh, he was an amazing father, amazing grandfather, uh, amazing husband. I always tell my mom, they broke the mold when they made him. I mean, Ed loved me unconditionally and I couldn't have asked for a better person to share my life with even though we only had 20 years it was the best 20 years. <laughs> well, actually it was 21, but it was the best 21 years of my life. And I wouldn't change any of that. I would change the fact that he's not here, Right. but I wouldn't change any of our ventures that we had together. We were truly blessed in many of ways. I mean, we weren't wealthy by money wise, but we were wealthy by love wise. That's all that matters. Oh, it is. It's amazing. Well, thank you for joining us. Thank you. I appreciate it. As we wrap up today's episode, I hope Cheryl giving us glimpses of Ed's life, testimony, and mission helped you in some way. Cheryl really made me feel like I wish I had had the opportunity to meet Ed. He sounds like such a wonderful and fun person with so much wisdom to share. With Ed's story, one thing that stands out to me is that he was able to keep his promise to God. I mean, how many times do we break promises, even the promises we make to ourselves, let alone to God? To me, it is both amazing and absolutely wonderful that Ed made keeping his promise a priority, and he loved doing it. It wasn't a task or a chore. It was a pleasure and a joy. And I think Ed's story also serves as a reminder of how God, when invited in, 
can absolutely and permanently transform our lives just like he did Ed's. And Ed used his transformed life to help transform others. How awesome is that? As always, I hope this episode helps at least one person. And with that, I hope you have a blessed week, my friend. Thank you for listening to The Beauty in the Mess. If you enjoyed what you heard, please share it with a friend. And if you haven't already, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast on your favorite pod player. If you have any questions or comments, any topic ideas you would like to hear about, or you think you would be a great guest on the show, you can reach me directly at thebeautyinthemess.com. Thanks for listening.